When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Folding pocket. Right. Well, so you've all been very busy because we've got so many questions. They're brilliant. So thank you all for sending them in to us. And I mean, we've tried to get through as many as we possibly can. Quite a few people, I will say, are saying that they are disappointed at the lack of Morris dancing. Somebody says they were lured here under false pretenses. So just <laughs> 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 sure. have to, to mention yes. that, really. So you've been Morris dancing. <laughs> Yes, but it doesn't make me a Morris dancer. No, 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 but you, have, <laughs> but you know how to do a bit of Morris dancing. No, I don't. I think you do. But you've done it, haven't Amnesia's you? Amnesia's a good friend sometimes. Did you wear the jingly legs? No, I didn't. I don't have the kit, Richard. Look, it was, I mean, here we go. I, it was about <laughs> 40 years ago, and I asked some Morris dancers to come round, and they were so kind that they had me and some friends join them. And, okay, so I think I've admitted to doing it twice. I've done it three, t- three times. <laughs> Basically, you're but it's, saying... But it's not a fetish, is it? I mean, it's no, three I'm times. Saying, I'm just saying you've had a 40-year commitment to Morris dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds a bit like somebody asking their children to confess to having done drugs or something, like that, the way you're questioning them. <laughs> Borderline. But, um, but I, think, I think it would be great. Well, I know if there was... <laughs> can I say, if there was celebrity Morris dancing, we know who would join that, <laughs> wouldn't we? <laughs> I turned down Celebrity Morris You haven't turned down any. I've even seen you in Celebrity Cash in the Attic, which is the end. (laughs) It was not Celebrity... It was Celebrity Antiques Hunt, if you don't mind. (laughs) Well, it's tragic. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good try, but it's not going to happen tonight. Can we be nice to the audience and honour their questions? Yes. Okay. so, there's quite a lot, quite a lot of you have asked us how this all came about. So, how did the podcast start? And why the three of us and why are we here? So I think we should tell that story again. Well, I can tell you about Charles. So when I was vicar of Finder, there's a job you get if you're a vicar if you just don't duck when the finger goes round the room. <laughs> and it's to be chaplain to the high sheriff. Okay, It's one of those things like Lord Lieutenant, the county thing, you know. But every county has a high sheriff. It's a ceremonial thing. And they have a chaplain. And your job as chaplain, do you know what it is? is to say amen after a High Court judge sitting in the county assize pronounces a death sentence on a felon. Not much call for that, even in Northampton, I'd say. So it's, um, so it's a ceremonial thing, and the thing we have is the court service. So every year, all the judiciary gathers, all wigged up and everything, in turn, you go to All Saints, and there's a service, and you preached it, if you're the chaplain to the High Sheriff, and Charles was Deputy Lieutenant at the time, so Charles was there. So I didn't read the email, of course. And the, the day before, the bloke phoned me up and he said, are you ready for tomorrow? And I went, yeah, of course, I've written a sermon. So he said, have you got the kit? I said, yeah, I've got all the kit. He said, have you read the email? I went, no, I haven't read the email. What kit? He said, have you got a tricorn hat? And I said, no. And he said, well, get one. I said, where the hell am I going to get a tricorn hat at five o'clock on a Thursday? And he says, your problem. <laughs> 
so I phoned up the panto. <laughs> so I phoned up the panto, and I said to the panto, you don't mind any chance of a tricorn hat? And they said, well, yes, we do. And I said, thank God. Can I pick it up tomorrow on my way to the court service? Because I need it. Chaplain to the high sheriff. They said, of course. So, fantastic problem solved. So we went out of the panto, picked up the tricorn hat, which had a skull and crossbones. <laughs> 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 Nobody said anything, <laughs> apart from Earl Spencer, <laughs> who has mocked me for it ever since. So that was how we met. I'm slightly... I'm slightly and what mad. do you call me, Richard, when you refer to me? My Earl friend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how we met. Yes. And then... Um, well, and you then, can then well I, I met Kat's husband, actually, first. And then Kat and I, by coincidence, had the same editor, we both write history books, and then you came to help with the Roman villa. There's a Roman villa near Althorpe, and we've been digging it up over the last year or so. And then the three of us, because Richard was semi-resident, he does like a free meal, <laughs> and, uh, and it was inevitable he was going to overlap with Kat at some time. And it was Kat's idea. Kat said, we all talk a lot, and we all talk a lot of nonsense, and maybe we can make it into a podcast. So I suppose we did. Yeah, and I think it seems to have worked. But now we get to do it and call it a job and not just sit and... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we do. We, uh, and Richard has a lot of commitments and, and does a lot of touring, etc. But on the whole, we, we do meet. We meet in a studio in, uh, in leafy Brixton. And it's quite fun, because actually, because Richard's left the county. If you'd known this, you wouldn't have voted for him. He's a traitor. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in the flesh pots of Sussex. And uh, really, it's the only time I get to see him, is when we're sort of being rude to each other over a microphone. But can I tell you what? The cat and I had enormous fun, because we made Charles go to South London, and we used to pretend that he'd never been there before. <laughs> yeah. And we used to say that there was no business class on a tube train. Yeah. <laughs> they told me I had to tip the driver on the train. <laughs> go, to, go to the front, does that I, look for the I first I commuted class? for ten years on the central line a long time ago. So well, no, we were, that, no reason for us not to mock you. So we've got a lot of questions about that and how we record it, and also quite a lot of you are I'm wondering, and this is a good question I'm wondering too, how do we find the time to actually research it <laughs> So yesterday I was up at 4.30 researching for one we recorded yesterday. So they're very different. Richard knows everything already. Uh, Kat's got this very keen academic brain, and I've got a very small brain. It's, if you think of a small <laughs> pot for your tea, I can pour the water in, and then when you've poured it out, it's gone. <laughs> and so we're very, very different the way we work. And you see... Richard never has notes. Today is the first time I've not used notes because I wasn't going to let myself down by not knowing, you know, because of you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had to learn it, and I think Kat found the same. But it's quite intimidating when Richard's just very gently going on, and Kat and I are thinking, how can we even contribute to this conversation? <laughs> yes. That's so not like me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an never. inclusive colleague. I like to... Because I think I'm not a specialist in anything, I like the sort of random acts and stories and stuff. I like the weird connectivity. We have a question very specifically of your character, Bernard de Flor. De Flor, yeah. In so in your books, we've got a question from Anna here, asking if he, in the Reverend Clement series, is based in any way <laughs> on Charles. So this is Richard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
He's a horrible, grumpy aristocrat <laughs> who lives in a big house near a place called, not Brampton, but Champton. <laughs> he's got a white cat. He used to have red hair. I mean, it, I don't know. There's the odd bit where I think, hang on a bit. And, and, and then also, it's a big house. He's 59 as well. <laughs> it's not... You. <laughs> it's uh, absolutely not you. So I happened to write this series of novels with a vicar detective. It's set in the late 1980s for a start, okay, in a shire county in England where there's a vicar with a feisty mother and two Daxons <laughs> who lives near an aristocratic estate where a historic family has been there for a long time. <laughs> any resemblances to any person living or dead is entirely coherent. It's not you. I do pinch the house, actually, but it's a bit complicated because I have... The house is a composite in my mind, and actually part of it is Drayton House. And the reason why I used Drayton House was because nobody knew about Drayton House at all. And no one will ever know anything about Drayton House because it's never been open to the public and you can't see it from any road. And then they made bloody salt burn and filmed <laughs> it there. <laughs> but there are bits of... I've noticed sometimes when a character is moving through the house, they start off in a bit of Drayton, but they end up in a bit of all sorts. Mm. So... All right, yeah. <laughs> you, you can have that, you can have the trophy. Excellent. Uh, can I also say, Yes. there is going to be an archaeologist. <gasps> is there? Oh, yes, Brilliant. Yeah. Specialising in... I was thinking maybe I want, I want something that's historic, <laughs> maybe got some migratory history, uh-huh. maybe maritime too, perhaps have an enduring presence in England. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I'll have a think. Vikings perhaps? Maybe, <laughs> yes. Worth a try. They're quite good. I'll give you some clues. So, moving to the next, because we've got so many, I want to get through a few of them. There's quite a few interesting ones asking us about our favourite topics. And it says, not just one where you were that episode's winner, Richard, mm-hmm. so that doesn't count. <laughs> there are other people. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, any suggestions? I like, so Richard did this really bizarre one on the Panacea Society. Yeah. Yes. Which was, because... Generally, you have a rough idea about something, but the Panacea Society was a completely crackpot setup. Was it in Bedford or Luton? Still, it, well, it's no longer in existence, but yeah, we have Bedford. But that was really interesting because it was something completely new, and the cast of characters was bonkers, which is always entertaining. But I love that one. Mm. Sometimes we come up with their topics ourselves, and then we really want to do something, we suggest them for each other. We do also get our readers' suggestions from either from reviews or from emails. And I picked one from the suggestions, which was unicorns, and I thought they're actually really quite dull, and I'm not that interested in unicorns. But they have this extraordinary, really long history, going back thousands of years, of people believing in them and trying to put together those sources. And that was really interesting. It's those surprising ones, I think, where you think you, think you know it, and then you realise that you absolutely don't. I liked, I mean, it's very topical because it's in the episode which dropped this week, but it's you talking about Hawthorne. Yeah. Which is fascinating. And the thing I love about it is, you know, you can have a figure from history and that's the thing to talk about, or you can have an invention, or you have the... But actually the Hawthorne, which has played such a huge part in our national life, I didn't really know anything about it at mm. all. And that was, you did a great one on cutlery as well, Charles. Do you remember that <laughs> one? Oh, uh, yes, gosh, yes. Marrow spoons. I mean, if someone heard our, <laughs> our, our list of things, they just sound so weird. But I, I think that we get away with it because it is just 12 minutes each, roughly. I mean, if you gave a sort of Wikipedia rundown of any of those subjects, it would be very dull. But it's trying to find the quirky, trying to find 
the interesting and the totally unexpected, really. I think that's what brings it, hopefully brings it alive. I want to ask you, Kat, because there's something very English about this sort of thing, and you're not English, and I just wonder <laughs> sometimes what it's like for you with the trigonometry of being the not English person in the room, because your take on it is different, your way of... I think that's very interesting, one of the reasons why the relationship, I think, is such an interesting one, because you're doing it in a different way. Yeah, so I think it's quite fun to then try and think what are those cultural differences and those cultural approaches to those same sort of questions and what might surprise you two. So I think, because obviously I think when you're coming up with something, as you were saying now, trying to find those quirky, unusual things, and I think, well, what might be an unexpected angle if you come at it from a different culture. And also you, your idea of quirky, because quirky is a sort of culturally determined factor, yeah. it might be very different from Yeah, from it's definitely times I sit there thinking, you're going to love this. <laughs> 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 Completely blank. <laughs> that does happen, but I just move on and don't tell you. I also really like just learning about Norway and about how people who come from Norway look at the rest of the world. It's interesting. And how they pack their rucksack. <laughs> Charles is upset. I've Charles now bought a rucksack. <gasps> yes, this yes. is a major and thing. And I can't pack it. <laughs> so all the bits you need, I, they're always at the bottom, which is, yeah. is not very good. No, you know I think we need to have a lesson, don't we? A you know lesson. you don't need a rucksack to go to South London, just an ordinary baggage. <laughs> baggage fine. <laughs> they do have sat now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's another really good one I like to hear from Nancy. And it said that in the first episode, uh, Obliteration of Sparrows, going right back to the first season, you talked Mao's war against the four pests. The question, Chairman Mao, yes. Yeah. The question is, what four things would the three of you obliterate, given so the chance? For those who didn't hear it, it was about Chairman Mao, the Chinese dictator, he decided that four things had to be completely destroyed, including sparrows. And it, it resulted in absolute mayhem because all the crops were eaten by caterpillars. But the, I suppose the question is, what in modern life would we get rid of, Richard? Only four. <laughs> <laughs> I've got four, four, well, unnecessary long Wi-Fi passwords. Yeah. Drives me absolutely mad. People using hands-free phones on the train. Sachets, which I can't open really annoying and the one that annoys me more than anything now is that packaging is designed by graphic designers in their 30s for people in their 60s and i can't read the bloody writing <laughs> and it drives me mad <laughs> to this <fall. laughs> <Very good. laughs> so well i suppose piers morgan <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think so. We've got lots of questions about our, their archaeological excavations and the, the, at Walthorpe. And the first one, which was on the documentary we did, where we were looking for a medieval village, actually, oh, yes. and uh, didn't quite find it. So I'd quite like to get rid of what we found instead, which was a, a plastic pipe. <laughs> yes, <laughs> huge excitement. It looked like a crucifix. Um, and it's, it showed up as that from the geophysics, didn't it? It did. Uh, but it was a 1970s blue plastic pipe yeah. <laughs> <laughs> encrusted in concrete and things. That wasn't very good. But we did find a few things yeah, that time. <laughs> and then it led to the Roman villa, which has been endlessly fascinating, really. I want to know, I read somewhere, or maybe I heard it on this podcast, like most of the things I think I've just read, that Northamptonshire in Roman Britain was famous for 
growing grapes. Yeah, it's a wine area. Mm. Where Wollaston Motors are, that was a really big vineyard. Because <laughs> uh, the weather was very warm. And um, where this villa is, it's very interesting, because my father, about 40 years ago, he loved his wine. He asked these people to come and look on the whole estate and find anywhere where he could try and grow some grapes for wine. And they came up with this field, perfect gradient, facing the right direction, right water course, etc. And it's right behind where this Roman villa is really? uh, in No Bottle. And we reckon, I mean, we will hopefully prove it, that there was a vineyard there. And I'm putting one back. It's a sort of labour of love, really, to have a look at that villa and all around it. And it's a very historic, you know, we've, we heard it this evening. Such a historic area, Northampton and Northamptonshire. We've, you've got more things to hate, Kat. Have I got more things to hate? Yeah. I can't get my head around Marmite. What? <laughs> Sorry. We don't Point. eat that in Scandinavia. Point. No, but it doesn't exist. You, you can't buy it. Yeah, so Marmite used to be illegal in Norway. <laughs> no. You weren't allowed to buy it. But it's not really? an excuse to invade us. <laughs> just <'cause laughs> Hang on, what's well, Norway got against Marmite? I, there was some, some regulation, too much vitamin B in us or something. I don't know. Goodness knows what it was. But you weren't allowed to buy it. So you couldn't buy it anywhere. But can I just say, Lutefisk... Perhaps well, explain to the people of who don't know what lutefisk is. It is among the top three worst delicacies. Yes, I'll add that to the list, really. So it's one of these um, essentially just sort of awfully treated fish just with lye, lye. Um, to cure it with lye, essentially. So it's not cooked. Well, you cook it later. You can cook it or you can have it raw. It c it's literally gelatinous and yeah. it phosphoresces. Yeah. It's the most disgusting thing. It and they smells. Sell it, it, it <laughs> smells, smells so bad. I don't quite know why we, well, some people eat it, but that can go on the list with the Marmite. Marmite's off the menu. If it's illegal in the country, <laughs> surely that's, well, what that's else enough. Then? So you've got Marmite, you've got um, pipes. Pipes. Disappointing discoveries. Disappointing discoveries. I think that's a bigger issue, isn't the it? The M4 you're not keen on. The M4. M4 would definitely go on there because I nearly didn't turn up today because I was stuck on the M4 for an hour. So motorways would be my final one. But you only really had one. I mean, I know, I know that counts as a four. You, you <laughs> 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 Any more? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> fine. <laughs> that's fine. Okay. So we've got a few local ones as well. One of them, just because we're here. What part of Northamptonshire's history do you find most fascinating and why? Oh, gosh, that's a very interesting one. Mm. Mm. I do like that Viking part and the fact that it's on the borderline of the Danelaw. So you've got all these conflicts and you've got this changing people being in charge of the area in the Viking Age. I do like that part. Well, I like really bizarre things. So it's a very tiny moment and... Um, an old man came back, an American came back, and he was walking around the fields near where this Roman villa is. And somebody bumped into him and asked him what he was doing. And it turned out that in the war, he was a very young American pilot. And his job was to hop between air bases, taking the mail from one base to the other. And he came down in a controlled crash and obviously survived. He'd come back years later to see where. And um, somebody was talking to him and he said, oh, by the way, you've probably heard of my daughter. She's called Jodie Foster, and it was <laughs> Jodie Foster's father. And I just think things like that are much more interesting than, than the obvious. And that's why I, I would say it's my favourite fact. I was talking about one of the... Actually, it was for this podcast. We are talking about the royal family of Hawaii. They oh, yes. had a short mm. and inglorious... Well, I mean, they're, they're still around, but they're, they're no longer in power. And I discovered that one of the most famous princesses of Hawaii, Lilia Kuana, um, 
What's her, her full name? What's her full name? <laughs> there is li- Thank you. It's like 17 syllables for her, but she's known as Princess Lily. All right. and, um, and she lived in these 1870s, 80s, 90s. She died young, actually, in her 20s. But she was a visitor to Findon Vicarage. So that she had gone to school at Harridon Hall near Wellingborough, which is now Wellingborough Golf Club. But in those days, it was a school. And she'd been sent over, this princess from Hawaii. It was interesting because it just unco- began to understand a little bit about the history of Northamptonshire, not in terms of you know, the sort of broad sweep, the Civil War, uh, Northampton is a medieval city, Viking city, but Northamptonshire is somewhere where there were people popping up. One of the earliest mentions of a, of a Muslim in Northampton is 13th century, and he was a Saracen, Fletcher, an arrow maker, crossbow maker here in Northampton. Mm. Stories about two of David Livingston's bearers in what we would now call, I think, probably from Tanzania, I'm not sure where, but who came to Twywell, a little village near Thrapston. And just these stories about people blowing into Northamptonshire and some of them staying in Northamptonshire and creating a sort of richer history than I was aware of before. I think that's what interests me. Yeah, and all of the American connections, the Washington family, a lot of presidents... Ancestors yeah. come from around here. Ecton, of course, was the Franklins, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. You didn't really get over to the New World much, Spencer's, did you? Not no. really. <laughs> we did invade in 1812. Uh, just, well, it was one ship. It didn't, I'm not sure it's an invasion. <laughs> but, uh, so there was a spe- was that the Spencer fought against, in Florida, fought oh, against Americans. Excellent. So, a few more. So, a few more sort of about us personally. So, one from Sharon was how sporty we were at school. <laughs> and what was your favourite sporting activity? Over to you. <laughs> no, not really. I peaked at cricket when I was at Maidwell Hall when I was 11, I think. That was it. And I, I was in the, I don't like to boast about this, I was in the Maidwell Hall rugby 15, but there were only 14 boys in my year. <laughs> <laughs> so. That was difficult not to get selected, really. What I find odd, Charles, is that you are naturally a competitive person, I think it would be fair to say. I've never actually seen you play cricket, but are you vicious? I wasn't really a very good cricketer. I was quite a good captain, because if I saw somebody good on the other side, they'd be playing for me in the next match. (laughs) So it was strategy? Strategy, yeah, chess. I don't want you to be too modest, Richard, because I gather you were very good on the trampoline. It's the one... (laughs) Seriously, it's the one sport for which I discovered a natural aptitude and I don't know where it came from was a trampoline so I when I was in my teens I did a bit of trampolining and all right I went to the Olympic no I didn't um, <laughs> and, and there's not as much distinction but I was the only sport where I immediately had a feel for it so I'm from friends and they got a trampoline in their back garden and they said we'll have another go I, thought, I can't now I'm too old and I did but within two bounces my moobs created a sort of contrary flap (laughs) and I realised that my sort of gyroscopic point was completely thrown off as my can I tell you I discovered I'm on tour at the moment and I've been up in Chorley in Lancashire which is a town I like very very much do you know what they call moobs in Chorley chippy tits <laughs> but enough of my moves. Yes. Kat, you are you are one of the sportiest people. You're certainly the sportiest person on this podcast. <laughs> Thanks. <coughs> yes. Well, so at school we did a lot of sports, but we did actually do a lot of winter sports. Not surprisingly. Could you ski before you could walk? I had my first skis when I was about two and a half, 
actually, because that's just what you do. You just get, I remember I had pink little ski boots and that was quite fun. We used to take them to school um, because you could actually ski to school, <laughs> which was quite fun. We used to go ice skating quite a lot in the winter as well, which was, was sort of, again, PE lessons. But then I got quite into snowboarding because that was a bit cooler. Skiing was very boring when it was sort of what you had to do. So we went into snowboarding, which was quite fun. So it's mainly in the winter sports I got into. You're missing out roller derby. Yes. That came later, so that was, again, I think, because I was really into all of these slightly more dangerous sports. But I think I have my dad, who used to do ski jumping and rally driving, so I think that's where he came from, really. So I used to do roller derby, um, which is a great sport if you haven't seen it. Not at all dangerous, in the slightest. You <laughs> had a career-ending injury, though, didn't you? I did. I broke my leg, unfortunately. Not because it's basically. Dangerous. Sorry? Not at all dangerous. No, no, not at all. It's a bit like playing rugby, but without a ball on roller skates. Mm. Mm. Kind of how you describe it. That would be best, I think. You like bridge. Well, I wouldn't call that a sport. (laughs) (laughs) I would. Yes. (laughs) No, I I think um, swimming was a big one when I was younger. But, uh, yeah, I, I got a... I got injured in a water polo match, which was very hard to do. But I, I, I basically, when I was 16, got kicked in the eye, um, a, a bloke kicked the ball, in, a master kicked the ball in at full tilt. And I thought, that's going to hurt. But I thought it was going to hit me in the chest. And just before it got to my chest, somebody stuck their hand up and I didn't have time to close my eye. Oh. And so that, I remember listening to the news of John Lennon being assassinated while I was lying for a month <laughs> in a dark. And you thought you think you've got problems. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it, really. I can proudly tell you that I have never received an injury undertaking sport of any kind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm not, not a, sure I'm that Not a vicious <laughs> daisy chain I was wound. excused sport because I was a pianist and uh, because my fingers clickers, were too precious. Clicker clicker fingers, fingers, the clicker fingers. The became pianist fingers, but I was too... In the end, they just gave up. I was the last person. I mean, I'm sure like... Anyone who has been this person will know what that feels like. To be the last person picked for a team was me. And I can just remember people going, oh, Coles. <laughs> That's very good. Somebody asked if we've had a day out together as a result of one of the topics. And we haven't, but I think we should. That's a great so idea. So what should, what do you think, in terms of the things we've done, obviously we're going to go more dancing. Well, he's going to go more dancing and we're going to watch. But apart from that... We've said we're going to go and do things every yeah. episode. Oh, we're going to go every to episode. We're going to Lofoten. 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 Yeah, so we're yeah. obviously going to go there. That's one of them. I would love to have a go in a Viking ship. Yes. Seriously, I would love to have a go in a Viking ship. And we you can do can that do in Lofoten. Yeah. In Lofoten? <laughs> yeah. But why don't we do that? I'd love yeah. to do it. Would you have, do you get seasick? No. Famous last words. No, I don't think <laughs> I do. We did think of one we were going to do, and I... The Panacea Society, that would yes. be brilliant. Trip to Bedford, because I, 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 I know the woman who was the, around the museum, they have a new museum now, so we could do that. We could go and see the mm. house in Bedford, which has been reserved for Jesus on his second coming. I think we should definitely do Let's that. Let's hope it's ready. Excellent. Well, it is ready. There was a whole debate about whether they should put in a loo, because... <laughs> Would, would Jesus need, need a loo? Yeah. <laughs> you know? There seriously was a debate about yes. that. Yes. Yeah. So why don't we do that? Yeah, I think let's definitely have that as a plan. So I think that's all we've got 
time for oh, now. So many questions. Yes, well, that's it. That's our first ever effort in public. <laughs> Normally, we're slouched in <laughs> hiding. Yeah. But thank you all thank you. so much. Thank you.